What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Big Luke here, Man of the Free. Welcome to another episode of Man of the Free, Freedom of Mind, Money, and Media. That's the tagline. We are here with the one, the only, the famous, the infamous, the name that means money in your pocket, Chris Fernandez, the Pawn King. Hi, How y'all doing? Chris, I, I tend to start the show. I let people know who the guest is, you know, the, the typical intros, but more importantly, how we met. Do you remember? This is like pop quiz number one. You got any fucking clue Not how we when met? when you were 50 pounds lighter, I don't. No? No, or maybe 100 pounds lighter. Yeah. Were it? Do you remember where the reintroduction happened later on? Yeah, at the store right over the hill here. When I was looking for uh, a rock for the old lady's engagement ring? You want me to disclose that, yes. Yeah, that's okay. You know, it's <laughs> funny. It's funny that you say that. It's funny that a lot of people have kind of... They think it's taboo that I bought uh, a diamond for my wife's engagement ring at a pawn shop. Um, it just goes along with the, the, the theory that I have in life that people, places, and things in your network mean everything, right? So I went to a lot of jewelry stores. I went to, I guess they'll remain unnamed for professional courtesy, right? Sure. But I went to a lot of jewelry stores, and I met a lot of people, and I met a lot of real slick salespeople. I saw some nice rocks, but at some point it occurred to me that I was buying a stone. It was mined out of the ground. Yep. Had no serial number. It had no, uh, you know, barcode. It had no brand name. It was a fucking stone, right? So would it really make a difference where this stone came from? So then I assessed, I've got X amount of dollars to work with. This was a, an earlier part of my life in the beginnings of my, you know, later, latter part of my life where I've experienced, uh, experienced some success. And I had a limited budget to work with. You know, it was a healthy, it wasn't like I was spending 500 bucks. It was a lot of money to me. But uh, I, I felt to myself that I needed to go to where I could get the most value for my dollar. And I knew, A, that you knew what you were doing. I knew that a secondhand shop would possess a lot of jewelry that had been turned in, a lot of stones and stuff like that. And I, I ventured to think that I would get for a lot lesser dollar amount a much higher quality stone than I would from a commercial jeweler. So long story short, I bought a stone from you. It's a beautiful stone. You treated me very well. You found a really nice rock. It made a beautiful engagement ring. My wife is ecstatic. She was actually happy that I went about it the way I did because she ended up with a much larger, much higher quality stone than she would have if I took that same dollar amount to a commercial dealer. And uh, it, it worked out well for us. So Well, I appreciate that. I mean, <clears throat> it's not every day somebody comes in and with a big wad of cash and <laughs> wanting to, you know, buy a stone for their engagement ring. But, you know, we've gotten, we've evolved a lot since then. And, and uh, it, it's happening more often now. And, Is it really? You know, it's the, the word pawn for a lot of people in society it's it's a name as old as as anything you find in the bible it's been it's been around the profession's been around for forever mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> it's if you put the word pawn above your door you might as well put the word mass murderer above <laughs> your door as far as a, a lot of people are concerned which is really hilarious to me because you know we're like the furthest thing from consumer unfriendly as you can get but you know, convincing people of that is has been an uphill battle. I've been doing it for uh, almost twenty years, yeah. and uh, you know, I've got a following. We've got a lot of customers. There's a lot of people that you know have gotten to know us, and you know, through being on radio and stuff like that, and and just uh, <clears throat> kind of just visiting the stores and try to make them as much as you know, you know consumer friendly as possible. Mm. You would feel comfortable bringing your kids in there. Yeah, you know, there's no questionable merchandise there's no you know pornography and no secondhand I mean? sexual devices no, hanging on the desk no, no or firsthand or drug paraphernalia or any of that stuff so 
and we we don't even really sell anything by way of you know guns or weapons, but uh, you know BB guns. But so uh, let me ask you a question: What does and this is something that's always fascinated me. And a long, long time ago, I tried my hand at opening a pawn shop, a secondhand shop, okay. uh, with a partner. It did very well, <laughs> but for a short period of time because I happened to be very addicted to narcotics at the time. And when you're taking in a lot of cash. Bad combination. It, yeah, it's like a monkey selling bananas, that it's kind of thing. Bad combination. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it didn't go so well, but I always wondered, and I never took the time, because, you know, at that time, of course, was not the time where you could pick up a device and say, hey, Siri, or hey, Google, phone's going to go off, there it goes. Um, tell me what I need to know and do so in very quick fashion. What does the word pawn mean as it pertains to a pawn shop? Well, in, in a traditional pawn shop, you would bring something that you covet and you wouldn't, wouldn't want to part with it permanently. So you'd say, you know, I'd like to get a loan on this item. You Maybe you don't have another avenue that you can, can't go to the bank. Right. You know, they're not going to give you a loan on your, uh, your gold chain or your, your, your watch. Mm -hmm. So you'll come to a pawn shop and say, you know, I just need short-term money. And, uh, and then you would, typically you would be paying a monthly accrued interest rate on it. Um, the way that we do it, because the state of New York is so wonderful to work with, uh, and, and, you know, I'm happy to live here, but the, 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 the process by which to run a pawn shop in New York, unless you're in Yonkers, uh, upstate New York is very difficult. The interest rates are not enough to actually make any kind of decent profit. So what we do is we, we take in items. People say they don't want to part with them permanently. We allow them first access. So in other words, we're, we're buying it. And we're reselling it back to the same customer. So they get, we're going to give them 30 days to rebuy their item back. They essentially put it on layaway. Okay. And they're paying zero interest. It's a predetermined. So there's no interest involved whatsoever. There's just a predetermined price that they agree to before they leave the door. Hey, I would sell this to the public for 200 but I'm going to discount it for you and sell it to you for 140 You see? So I'm still making... Profit, not yeah. making as much profit as I would if I would have bought it outright. Sure. But this customer might, might come back to me and do it six months from now. Right. So now I've been able to do business with this customer, provide a service, not hitting them over the head. They're not, you know what I mean? They, they feel good about it. So it's a win-win situation. You know, it's, it's, uh, there are, there are townships that have required me to acquire a pawnbroker license. So I, I do have pawnbroker licenses and specific townships where it's required, but I have no loans. I don't, <laughs> I don't give loans. Right. I don't want to follow the bouncing ball and figure out the calculated daily right. interest. And it's just, it just, it's, it's another job. You, you, know? you, you essentially, I, go ahead. When they sell it to me, that's what they're essentially they're doing. I own it. I have no obligation to sell it back to them. Gotcha. It's basically at that point in time, it becomes a handshake agreement. The only thing they get is a layaway slip. So they put this item on layaway mm -hmm. that they can come back and claim it. But, I have no legal obligation even to provide them that item at that point. Gotcha. I mean, that wouldn't be very good for my business. It wouldn't be the right thing to do for of me course. to say, oh, yeah, well, screw you. I Not just to mention it wouldn't hang around too long, I'm sure. No. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's evolved into that. But uh, the typical, uh, it, it, essentially, you're, you're doing a very similar activity. It's just without, um, you, know, you know why the state really likes it, though, the way that, that we do it here is, they're continuously collecting sales tax, kind of like your business. Yep. You sell a used car, you buy a used car, you sell a used car, you, somebody collects, they, you collect sales tax on mm -hmm. behalf of the state. Yep. That same car comes back to your lot and you sell it again, you collect sales tax on it again. How many times can one item be taxed? 
if you ask the state of New York, that's the sideways eight. It's infinite. Yeah, so that's the same thing with used merchandise. Yeah. There is no tax limitation on used merchandise. So the state actually makes out better. Mm. We're collecting. We're not making anything additional as a result of it. But, right. you know, they're, we become basically at their service, t- collecting the tax on their behalf. Yeah, you ever feel like kind of a pimp for New York State? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. You, sure. What you said fascinated me. So, you know, my mind thinks in a creative entrepreneurial fashion because that's, you know, what I've been exposed to. So it sounds like in the beginnings of your career that you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but th- that you knew of these pawnbroker laws and you creatively found a way to circumvent the interest calculation i mean you essentially said okay this is real simple i can buy it i can guarantee that you can buy it back that you get first crack at it essentially you're not going to buy it for what i paid you for it because there would be no profit involved for me but as long as you're okay selling me this item uh, is there still the seven day hold there's a seven day hold for everything for law enforcement so re- purposes re- for everything okay. in some counties it's 14 okay and they in batavia new york it's i think it's 10 or or 12 days i can't remember uh Cortland's two weeks. Okay. So every everywhere is different, but so know. did was this your kind of your nice little caveat to well, the contract that you figured out? <laughs> the reason we started doing this was because it, it, the people would come in. We named the business Pawn King. It was the simplest way to to describe to the public. We used a little chess piece for the guy and put a crown on his head. So it's basically a pawn with a crown on his head. So, and then and able to communicate to the public, say, you're the little guy, you, you, you don't have much, you want to, you, you, you need a leg up. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we make the little guy the big guy, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. By turning the pawn into the king. I so, like that. So really, it was a play on words. Very nice. <clears throat> and what happened was, a lot of people come in and say, well, you know, I want to pawn this. I said, well, we don't do pawns here. Sorry. So well, I really want to get this back. So... In the city of Syracuse, you can't be a secondhand dealer and have a pawnbroker license. It's there's it's written right into the secondhand dealer. Really? Okay. Uh, so, you know what we did was we said, well, you know, if somebody wants to buy their item back. I guess we can we hold it for seven days anyway. Right. So, it's not stolen ninety nine point nine percent of the time. In that case, if somebody's right. going to want to, you know, get something. They're back, asking for it back. It's yeah, like it's t- not typically hot. it's not. Yeah. So. <laughs> What, what what harm could it be? You know, uh, go ahead and let them. And, and I've had to explain it. We've taken loans from Small Business Administration for our business, and they won't loan to pawn shops. But they've they've given us business, small business loans because I, I've had to go before their whole committee and explain to them how I actually f- operate my business mm-hmm. and why it's not a pawn loan. Because, I, you know what I'm saying? I do. That's sad to me. It's sad to me that the state, you know, essentially is, is willing to um, – not be as you know not uh, for lack of better words i'm trying to get too extravagant with my vocabulary here we'll just stick to the dumb meathead look um how they could not judge two businesses similarly because one is a, a pawnbroker i mean that's got to be some sort of prejudging or uh, you know well you know they leave the local uh municipalities to determine whether or not you're allowed to even open a secondhand business so they so that the, the law can be can be broad when it comes to the state, but they, they allow the local municipalities to micromanage the law and say they, they kind of tweak it and make it more stringent. I got it's, you. It's not less. It's I, m- I actually misspoke, Chris. I meant to say the Small Business Administration. You said oh. that they won't lend to a pawn, pawn shop, a pawnbroker? That's what I've been told again and again. Banks in general will not lend to a pawnbroker because they're basically, they feel 
and I don't know if this is accurate, they feel that they're lending to a competitor because essentially they're, okay. <clears throat> they're loaning money to an institution that loans money. Gotcha. Which I don't do, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's once you circumvented the whole, you know, loan pawn shop thing. Yeah. That's I, when you I tried to, to figure out it's something that would work for the consumer. Yeah. That falls under the, you know, legal guidelines of what yeah, yeah. you're able to do as a small business. So mm -hmm. It'd be like somebody coming here and uh, you can't do title loans, which would be great for somebody in your business. It'd be yeah. great for somebody in my business. You can't do title loans in New York. Mm -hmm. But if somebody came to you and said, you know, <clears throat> I really, I don't, I've got two cars. I really need some money. I don't really need this car. Can I sell you this car? Would you allow me to buy this car back from you? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you? You haven't, you don't have to detail it. You don't have to scrub it. You don't have to right. do anything. All you got to do is stick it in your, stick it in one of your spots. Yeah. As long as they maintain insurance on it, let them come back and get it in 30 days. What's the difference? They signed the title over. You don't register it, right? You're just handing them back the title here. Yeah. And they pay you the. The markup, the predetermined that's it. markup. They're paying you the predetermined markup on the, on essentially they sold you the item. You sold it back to them. You mm -hmm. know, the, the transaction technically in order for, I guess in order for that to work, in order for the state to be happy, you would have to run it through your book so that you would have to charge them sales tax on it when they came back. There would be it. DMV interaction yeah. too, I guarantee see, you. So see, that's where I think, you know, they've been, you know, because I deal with all faction of law enforcement, whether it's the, you know, the sheriff's department, the, the district attorney's office, the, the, uh, the attorney general's office. Yeah. Everybody calls us for one thing or another. What Social what? services contacts us. I mean, you, I'm serious. <laughs> no, no kidding. To yeah, do what? You know, try, to, try to procure an item? No they're, no, they're trying to figure out if somebody's scamming the system. Like, so-and-so collects XYZ from Social Security disability, but yet they're selling me $1,000 a month worth of used items. Mm -hmm. So this, so what they want to figure out is, how is this person acquiring this extra money, and is uh, it classified as income? So they have the right as a faction of law enforcement as no a government to come in and pull all these records get transmitted to the government every day. Mm -hmm. Anyway, everything I do gets immediately. You know so is there, is there some sort of uh, electronic medium for that? Cause when I had mine, it was a marble composition notebook. And yep. if they stopped by, they could look. Yeah. So I'm assuming. To, yeah. Know. And the police used to come in and hang out at the counter for three hours, going through your transactions and yeah. pointing to stuff on the floor. Where's the receipt for this? Where's, this? where's the, where's the sheet for that? Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, they can't. They don't do that anymore. It's a waste of man power. And so, yeah, it, there's a thing called Leads Online. Okay. To your question, yeah, uh, it gets everything gets like we just used to be have to enter them in one at a time. But now yeah, yeah. because we do everything electronically, we just hit a button at the end of the day. It, it uploads out. everything, and this anybody that's in law enforcement can. If they pay, they have to pay a subscription fee to this. I don't know how much it is. Okay. We don't have to pay a subscription fee to submit. Okay. They have to pay a subscription fee to, to access. access the data. Okay. So there's been some pushback there um, where there's certain departments that will come in and say, well, we don't have access to that. I'm like, well, just contact the state police because the state police have access. Yeah, to ask that. those guys. You can work between departments, I'm sure. Interdepartmental cooperation, yeah, but, I'm sure, yeah. is commonplace every day, right? Yeah, you know, it's, it's gotten a lot better. <clears throat> And, you know, most of the time, we seldom do the police show up unless they're there to pick something up. But okay. everything's already negotiated ahead of time. They, so a lot has changed. They'll email and say, hey, this item came up flagged as questionable or this one was determined as stolen or this person, you know, they'll even 
hit us with people of interest, you know. They no kidding. Somebody. Have you seen this guy type of thing? Yeah. And we, you know, we'll give him whatever, you know, it's. It, One it's, hand washes the other. I get it. Let me ask you a question. What is the most, because I, I, I know the audience is wondering this right now. They're, they're, I'm sitting here with a pawnbroker, or, or I'm sorry, a secondhand uh, dealer. It's fine. <laughs> like I said, I have a pawnbroker license in, in, in the, by the state through uh, Town of LaRay, Evans Mills, New York. No they put it together just for me. Just Nobody it? else ever had one up you there. Know, it's amazing Where are my stores across from, your, I was just across say, from your dealership? I've had a colorful array of experiences with the Town of LaRay up there. Boy, they are. <laughs> they came in the day that I opened up. Guns are blazing. Oh, your pawn shops are not allowed here. And I said, well, we're not a pawn shop. Well, yes, you are. It says pawn above your door. So that's the name of the business, Pawn King. I explained to people the same way I explained to you yep. how I came up with the name. That's quite intelligent. <clears throat> I commend you for that. But it gets the message across that's... to the general public. Anyway. Well, I, I they, doubt <laughs> many people are going to drive by and think that you're selling game pieces. Even if they don't know that it's a chess piece as the logo, right. which everybody I think is. I should have wore the chain with the logo on it. But anyway. <laughs> Um, I wore the other logo. I like there it. There we go. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's it's an a old good logo. logo, right? But uh, uh, so after a while, the town contacted me and said, you know, you, you need to get a pawnbroker license. I said, you're welcome to come and examine my books. I'll show you. I have no loans in the loan column. It's blank. Mm-hmm. Even even the program that I use is specifically centric for pawnbrokers. Okay. The loan column is blank. <laughs> Because I'm not accumulating interest. I don't charge storage fees. There's none of that now. Right, you know, right, there's right. about 45 other things you can charge when you're a pawnbroker that I, I just, we just, ours is just profit. Okay. Uh, you sell it to me for this. Here's the transparency. I'm going to sell it back to you for Pretty that. cut and dry. You right? good with that? Yeah. Or I can sell it to Joe, uh, next door neighbor, for $60 more. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, yeah. it's always a discount. It's still, they're still paying me a profit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to keep the doors open. And it's pro- I mean, it's probably f- uh, beneficial for you when somebody fulfills their obligation because the item sold immediately. You you re- re- um, recuperate your cash flow. Yep. Um, it probably is not desirable to have a uh, an item that's not a hot seller sitting on the shelf no, you know, for the guy that didn't pay for it. Unless it's a gold piece of gold bullion. You can melt down and turn into bullion in cash, know, Unless right? it's bullion, I don't <laughs> care. Yeah. Um, I was about to ask you. Sorry. No, 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 not at all. Go this ahead. is this is that's the fun part of this environment, man. It's it's all freestyle. So, I gotta believe that my audience is wondering the same thing I am right now, which is you know you drive by pawn shops, you hear the stories, you see the movies. What is? Can you give me like the top one or two or three most dangerous instances or colorful or what? What are the the blockbuster memories that you have from being a pawnbroker? Dangerous instances. <clears throat> well. I got a guy that runs my Auburn store that, uh, I don't know, I mean, it, it was absolutely dangerous for him. Um, <laughs> guy comes in the store, he's looking at the DVDs, he calls him from behind the counter. He says, can you, can you point out to me where the comedy section is? He goes, we don't really have stuff sorted in sections. Mm-hmm. So he goes to reach for a DVD, the guy pulls a knife out and holds it to his throat from behind, drags him over to the register, has him empty the register, Gives him the money and leaves, mm. which he did everything he was supposed to do. You know, I don't. I'm not gonna. You know, I don't want him to fight the guy. Right, right, <laughs> you know right. I, mean? yeah, yeah. I just let him have the money, and he, so the police caught the guy. The funny thing was, I mean, yeah, it's. It, I felt it, this has only happened ever once. Uh, well, okay, I'll go back. I'll, I'll go back. I'll touch that again in a minute. But okay. the rest of that story goes like this: <laughs> the police caught the guy like 
15 minutes later. Mm -hmm. the, the van was seen on the plaza cameras where he jumped into and they ran off. They pulled over the van and they confiscated my money. Guess who didn't get their money back? I can imagine you. Me. Never got my money back. This happened, evidence, This right? is a year ago. Evidence. Evidence. It's cash. How is it evidence? It doesn't make any sense. But anyway. Quick uh, side note, just a funny thing. I got arrested earlier in my, uh, my years of addiction possessing narcotics. Mind you, I had about 20 pills, narcotic painkillers, obviously for personal use in my pocket. I also had $1,700 cash on me. That $1,700 cash was wrapped in a notarized promissory note that I had just signed to my Uncle Carl for $2,000. So I got the money, I went and bought drugs, $300 worth, had the rest of the cash on me, got arrested. Cops saw the pills, saw the money, saw the promissory note, said, we're going to enter this into evidence. I said, how, how could you put, you can call my uncle. It's like the, the ink is still wet on the paper. This is not drug money. They say, well, you possess narcotics, we're going to take the money. You know, you said you could figure it out with the DA if it ends up being real and, and it checks out, you can have your money back. Guess yeah. who never got his money back? You. Exactly. As, as you were, Mr. <laughs> Fernandez. I thought that a colorful little insert. Oh, to man. Add. So, yeah. So <clears throat> about a week later, this is funny because this all happened like during the peak of COVID. You know, we were deemed essential, so we were allowed to stay open. You were deemed essential. Yeah, so everybody had their masks on. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, I'm sorry. I have this well, little theme well, here. Well, people, well, if you think about it. Uh, it, 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 even though it's not a loan business, it still falls under financial services because some people, the only way that they can get money is to bring stuff to sell it to the pawn shop. Is that, is that, is that your honest and wholesome, true belief? Well, that's what the state uh, agreed with me on. Yeah. So, well, the, I, I, the state also said that people need to buy cars, right? Right. So you were, but used car dealers and pawnbrokers are two of the highest generators of sales tax revenue in the state of New York, okay. Chris. So, there's so when you shut the lever down and all of a sudden the money stops flowing, <laughs> the guys go to the chart and they go, hmm, where, are we, where can we just flip a couple switches and get maybe I mean, 80% of it? Walmart was still open for a bunch of time until they like started roping off the TV section. They got a pharmacy no, you, in Walmart. You can't buy TVs. <laughs> go buy drugs. No TVs. <laughs> if you take enough drugs, you won't want to watch TV no. anyway. But it, it, isn't that just one beautiful coincidence there that the, the highest producers of sales tax revenues were the quickest businesses to be deemed essential by Andrew Cuomo restaurants right for takeout yeah sales tax revenue yeah I don't know I I, I that's you know. just my you know conspiracy now that, theorist now that Andrew opinion. Cuomo's gone we have nobody to pick on it's uh you know, Donald Trump's gone. Andrew Cuomo's gone. Yeah, I can find enough you with could Kathy pick on her. You could pick on her, but she's not as fun to pick no, on. She's not as fun to pick she's on. She's really no. serious. At least Andy had a little bit of a jovialness to him. He did. He was, know, he was he was an old Italian, yeah, one of the guys, yeah. beepity boop. I, and, and, and Andrew Cuomo was the kind of guy that knew what was coming out of his mouth was bullshit. And he, and he knew as he was saying it yeah, that nobody was buying face. this. And if he could just... Um, Take a few deep breaths, talk to a few reporters, everything was going to be okay. He believed what was coming out of his mouth was bullshit. He knew it, but he still did it. I think Kathy Hoka believes every word she says, and it scares the shit out of me. Yeah. But we're not going to go political on the man of the free today. Yeah, so. well, there is a bill on the, on the Senate floor right now to require secondhand dealers and pawn shops to take photo ID and... Do the same, essentially do the same thing that we do with our purchases to our sales. So anybody, to your sales, correct. So anybody that 
So this is not the first time that this has come. We've knocked it down two or three times. But <clears throat> right now, they want us to take the, a photograph and the ID and description and all the same things we take from somebody that sells us something to somebody that we sell a product to. So if I come to you and I want to buy a G-Shock watch there you go. for $35, right. you need my ID, yeah. you need my number, take your my address, take yeah. my picture. Well, I, I don't do it now. It's not the no, law. No, 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 no. I they're understand trying to make that. It, they're trying I'm to make that the proposing. law. They're trying to make that the law. Right. Yeah. right. And it's not an. It's not in session. It's. Yeah, I'm not. sure that won't affect your revenue at all. <laughs> you know, I'm sure all these people will yeah. gladly, especially in the suburbs. Yeah. Ah, they just throw their driver's yeah, license. Three at years you. after you sold somebody a television, <laughs> they figure out it's stolen. They show up at the person's house. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah, it's in the garage. Go ahead and get it. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks right. for picking up my trash. Oh, I'm so glad they're it saving the world with sense. these new laws. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's a waste of uh, tax dollars. I think, um, you know, the, the, not to hopscotch around, but back to the whole dangerous thing. Oh, I want to know. There was a guy came into my South Salina Street store, and the woman runs the store about 70% of the time there. Okay. And her name is Crystal. She's uh, <laughs> she's pretty tough. She uh, she grew up down there. And so this guy comes in. He's, you know, he's got his mask on, and he's asking. He and asked, I'm assuming you're not talking about a surgical mask for the uh, COVID pandemic. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant that he had like a ski mask. No, he oh, had, okay. no, he had no, no, the guy that robbed the guy at knife point was also wearing a mask. <laughs> so this happened. So this happened within that were masks were required to go inside businesses at the time. He's committing felonies, so, but at least he's uh, so, observing this yeah, proper so this, safety precautions. So the second guy had a mask on also. And he, he, he says, can I see that, that game system? I can't remember what it was, Xbox, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. So she puts it on the counter. He says he wants to buy it. She rings it up. He grabs <laughs> He, he grabs a mace out of his pocket, sprays her right in the face with mace. She's looking at him like, what are you doing? He grabs the game system off the counter and goes and runs out the door. She grabs her. As the, t as the toes open? Yeah. She, <laughs> she grabs her uh, case of water that was sitting on the counter behind her and wings it at the guy, chases him out the door, chasing him down the street. <laughs> I'm like, don't do that. Yeah, just that's not a good idea. Give them the get, let them run off at the game system. But yeah, it just happened twice in one week or within a two week period of time. Once in Auburn, once here in Syracuse. And I started to notice a trend of people going into stores with masks on, which were required at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. So I put up signs masks are required to be removed before you come into my store. <laughs> on all it. my stores. I love it. Completely against the law, right? Right. And the people would come in with their masks on. So, do I really have to remove my mask? I said, just take it down long enough to smile for the camera. Then you can put it back on. Right. And you wouldn't just wouldn't believe the, the, the brazenness people have. Just, oh, I would believe. Yeah. It's crazy. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? Of the which? whole pandemic thing. Oh, man. <laughs> I uh, overreaction. That's what I, my thoughts are that everything was a big overreaction. Uh, especially here in the state of New York, um, probably in most other blue states. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the states that didn't react as harshly didn't have nearly as many numbers of infections. I, I don't know. Uh, I think that there's probably a lot of manipulation of those numbers. Numbers yeah. can be manipulated easily. Yes. So, you know, I, I don't, I, I try not to think about it anymore. Cause when I, like you were talking earlier before the show that, you know, how I'm not on social media. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I got rid of it somewhere during that period of time because every time I would turn it on, I would get angry about something that 
I just didn't see was right, you know, <clears throat> when they did the whole hydroxychloroquine thing, and then everybody in every media platform poo-pooed it, when they had real scientific anecdotal evidence that this stuff caused you not to catch the virus, but yet everybody said it was witchcraft. Yeah, but or now, ivermectin, same thing with ivermectin. And now they're pushing who knows what on everybody, even still, there's commercials. Get boosted, get boosted, get boosted. You know how many people I know that can't move the arm that they get to sh that they get their boosters in anymore? Yeah. That literally, I don't know if it's an, a needle injury. Maybe they're using a needle that's about this long. When you go, I, I had a couple vaccines. Did you? This long. Yeah. Why? It, it, to get it in, what are you going to put it into the bone? <laughs> Seriously, it only reacts don't have well deltoids when like yours. <laughs> I mean, you need a four-inch needle to get to your bone, but I'm just saying. Most people, they just need a little insulin needle. It's a water-based thing. You just give it to me. I'll do it myself. Yep. You know what I mean? I, see, that's great insight. See, now that that's the part that, that I'm trying, you know, the purpose of this show, there's a lot of facets to this diamond, you know, to, to pun you as a pun, Jing. That's how I got you in the phone, Luke Diamond. Luke Diamond? I love it. <laughs> we, we try to bring people relevant facts, right? We try to not, you know, not air towards one side or the other. You know, this is not about Republican. This is not about Democrat. This no. is about delineating facts. It's about having discourse that's respectful and civil. It's about saying, hey, the, the whole, you know, freedom of mind, money, and media. You know, what is freedom of mind? It's taking barriers that maybe your parents made for you. Dad made 80 grand, so 80 grand is what you aspire to, and 250 grand is that's something for other people, right? Our family doesn't do that. It's about getting rid of those barriers. It's about... You know, allowing yourself to question what you've been taught, not be skeptical, not be paranoid, but to question, to have healthy questions, not simply so you can naysay what you've been taught or to go against it, but so you can comprehend it. So you're not just blindly following the leader. That's freedom of mind. Freedom of money is the ability for one person to go out and create their own destiny. To not say, well, I can only make ever $85,000 a year because I work at Blockbuster and the way well, I'm dating myself, huh? Because I work at Netflix and the most I can ever make in this position is Blockbuster. You and me both, bro. Come on. A lot. <laughs> you, you took over a Blockbuster when you were location. Kill, you know, an hour. It is. You know, so and then the freedom of media is exactly this, right? So to have good, healthy, you know, intuitive questions for the things that are being told to us and maybe saying there's been a narrative established why what are the reasons who stands to benefit etc we get in a conversation about a topic like the coronavirus pandemic you know i've had questions over and over and over again and you know it's very validating it's also very frustrating as time goes forward and somebody like me who way back when you know they they announced the whole pandemic thing ruben we might need a new microphone stand this is this is like a, a 80 year old man's penis it's it's doing what i'm asking it to do but then it's fading over time maybe i'm being generous with 80 i hope it works that well when i'm 80. you know and towards the beginning of this thing you know i i watched the initial response of the governing bodies the entities that were intelligent and were specialists on the topic and they came to the forefront and they said you need to deal with this for a little while we need to establish a herd type immunity and we need to, you know, take the appropriate vitamins, exercise, fresh air, etc. It's nothing you'll be able to prevent. It's viral. It's going to make its way through the group. Just take the precautions that you can to try to avoid it, right? That was the official word, day one, right? right. Ground zero. Then Fauci. some, yes, and, and it was. Don't worry it, about the masks. Don't worry right. about, don't hide the, your He house. was asked one of the first masks questions. Masks are not necessary. Yeah, 
one of the first questions he was asked was about the masks, and it was masks are not necessary. Now, I will take the... What's that? Now it's three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will take the knee-jerk reaction of somebody with Anthony Fauci-level experience at face value, and I and I will revere it as good information. What I have an issue with is when time elapses and some pieces of the narrative of some pieces of the story seem to be narrative-like. When it seems like we're moving towards a certain end, there's few, you know, a few a choice group of people that stand to benefit. And then somebody like Anthony Fauci starts to say something that is the antithesis of what he originally said. When he was, you know, first it was herd immunity, no masks. Then it was herd immunity is not really likely, masks are helpful. Then it was if you don't have a mask on, you're killing old people by the hundreds each day. And the thought of any sort of natural immunity, immunity, you're an asshole. And then it was, and if you don't get vaccinated, you're a murderous, ravenous <clears throat> you know, radical Republican that doesn't care about people and you love Donald Trump. You want to kill my grandmother. Exactly. It's like, how in God's name did we get from here to here? What bothers me even more is now, years later, the information is coming to light. The studies are there. The, I believe it was the CDC or the World Health Organization. It was one of those two major bodies. And this was credit to Russell Brand on his... Um, uh, I think it's called the Stay Free Podcast. Uh, a little synchronicity there with him and my uh, tagline. And that is that the this particular entity, and I won't quote because I don't remember which one it was, but they have just made the finding with a group of um, st statisticians or researchers or whatever that masks have little to no efficacy against the virus. Furthermore, they've established, um, and I believe this was the um, Politico, um, and, and I'm, I could be misquoting. I, I'm not. This is not meant to be, you know, citable verbiage this is just something that i witnessed the fact was there though and relevant and that is that the vaccine has little to no efficacy preventing the virus and it is very you know little to no efficacy against you know uh lowering the burden of the symptoms then we take it a step further and we're now discovering that the vaccines uh, have caused high levels of clotting in younger individuals especially <clears throat> athletic individuals Paired with now, research shows that the heart attack death rate of children ages 12 to 30 is now up by 20%. I mean, I'm no rocket scientist, right? I, I'm a... It's a good way to thin the herd. Uh, you know, makes you wonder, doesn't it? It does. So the funny part is, you start asking these questions, and you start concerning yourself with this information, and you become a conspiracy theorist. Right, they've been very good at branding anybody who questions this one straight line A to Z narrative of what it is. This is the first time in my life, I've always witnessed bullshit in the media. I've always witnessed politicians saying stupid shit that makes no sense, right? I've always witnessed the media having a tone and a narrative. This is the first time in my recollection, and I'd like to know your input on this because you've got a decade on me, okay? Um, this is the first time in my life that I've experienced information being passed off as fact that is not verifiable furthermore is not commonsensical not only that but the other end of the spectrum is based on fact and common sense i can't find any common sense in the narrative that they produced for this whole pandemic i'm curious if you feel the same way no no common sense at all it's all <clears throat> there's a you know there's an agenda that that needs to be met and has nothing to do with anything that 
we in the public are ever told about. So <laughs> no different than, uh, you know, the war post 9-11 and, uh, you know, weapons of mass destruction and all the lying that came from the other side. So this is not a politically leaning thought process on yeah. my part. I've just, I've witnessed tons of lying. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's never been any different. It's just that it's more easily found out now because of social media. It's just, right. it's, uh, you know, it, it used to just be three, five, and nine. So yeah. whatever was on the three, five, and nine channel, you believe. That's what you got, right? That was it. That was the news. And that was it. Now it's, Luke has a podcast and, you know, he's giving out fake news. And now everybody thinks that, you know, the end of the world's, what did you say, next Thursday? Uh, well, the following Thursday. Oh, okay. I yeah, got a two weeks. Right. Well, yeah. it might be true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's it, got their own news channel now. It is. Point. It you is. You're I'm absolutely saying? right. That's why I make it a point on this show to say things like I just did. This is not a quote. This is not a fact. You know, go cite the What I will do is I will bring things up in conversation that I've heard that I know the other appropriate entity has done the fact-based research on. For instance, you know, Russell Brand's got six and a half million followers. And when he states it, he cites the logo of the people he got it from. He gives you the context, the website, all this stuff. So that's, you know, that's sure. proper, proper citing of the research. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean... I'm all about research, um, but research, just like numbers, can be manipulated. Anything can be doctored. Oh, I so, agree. You, know, you can find an argument. That the one thing I hate about social media is whatever you're feeling that day, whatever your thought is, whatever you're convicted about, you can find it, and you can find support for your argument. You yeah. can say, I think the world's flat, and you can go on social media, and you, by the time you're done, you will really believe that if you walk far enough, you're going to fall off the edge. So, I mean, it's this is a real thing, man. People, right. there's real flat earthers. And I'm right, not, sorry to offend anybody out there that's a flat earther, but the earth is not flat. But anyway, it's... <laughs> People believe that, you know, yeah. that there's there's a there's an outlet for anything that you anything that they feed you, anything that you happen to be upset about. Generally uh, most of those people I have to believe that would be of the flat earth theory have never flown in a plane at forty thousand feet. There you go. It's kind of obvious the horizon they, they has a curvature think to it. Like a screen in the window and they're creating like the a, Truman show. Creating a manipulation for you. You yeah. know, and the, so then then the onlooker would then say, Chris, well, the same way that you're making fun of the flat earther for not believing that the earth is round, we can make fun of you guys for not believing that coronavirus is real, right? So it's this cyclical debate. I don't think it's not real. I think it's the coronavirus has been around forever. I mean, it, it, that there was a directed the, response. The, the COVID nineteen specifically named virus is new, and then it's been mutated twelve thousand times. But before that virus existed, most common cold viruses were coronavirus. It's on the back of a can of Lysol. So, yeah, so <laughs> I verified that actually. It's not a new virus. It's right. just you know, and no matter how many vaccines you make, you can get in front. Even if you believed that the mRNA version of a vaccine was the best version, right which I think time has proven that it's not. Because mm. if it was, you'd get the one shot, just like the measles, and you'd never you'd get the measles. You'd be done with it, right. You get the polio shot, you never get polio. Mm -hmm. They don't say, well, you're going to get a little bit of polio. Right. You might lose one leg. This will make but your at polio least you not so bad. you both legs. <laughs> if you wear three masks, you won't lose your arms, just your legs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, that's the it's, lunacy of it. It's have surreal. two more boosters, three. Yeah, right. It's, uh, it's it's beyond, and, and not, it, 
It's like a mad scientist. Like, but no, this is my greatest creation. Yeah, but yeah. wait, no, you're sick. You're still sick. Hang on. Yeah. Well, this is my greatest creation. Just, yeah, it's yeah. cyclical, man. And it's at what point? We're at the point now where I believe that people whose lives are governed by common sense and logic are pulling their hair out strand by strand. They're finding other things to do with their time. They're migrating away from mainstream media. They are so spent mentally and emotionally with staring into a screen and knowing that the person speaking back at them who is supposed to be speaking from a place of guidance and, and factual uh, information is just simply reading off a teleprompter that's bought and paid for. I mean, there's no, there, there was no, I couldn't get a bigger laugh. There's no further irony than watching a newscast where they're talking about, you know, the, the, what they did do, this was on a news show, they, it was on a CBS channel, a local local morning show. I think it was like San Diego or something. They were talking about, and I will give them kudos, they were addressing the topic and the fact that there was an increase in heart attacks in children ages 12 to young adults age 29, right? So they addressed it. And I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, are we, are we making headway? Is the mainstream media actually addressing the real issues here? And I watched, it was a roundtable discussion between three reporters. One was the one that had done the research. The other two were the morning show hosts, you know, the, and our roaming reporter, what did you come up with, right? So she, she talks about, well, you know, because of the fact that people were confined to their homes, they would tend to order a lot of DoorDash and Grubhub. And what this would do is it would lower the quality of their diet, it would lower their intake of fresh air, and it would lower their ability to gain exercise and have a diet. So we believe that the increase in lipids and sugar and lack of movement would give them a heart attack. It's like, okay, you know, listen, there is a logical element to that, I'm with you. And then it was, well, children didn't go to school. So nor... Don't even go there. They, I don't even want to talk about the that. The kids couldn't go to school, <laughs> so they couldn't build up their natural immunity yeah. to other viruses, mm. which caused them to be a little less healthy, which caused them to then maybe have their, their heart suffer. Mm. And it they were just dancing. Like, I mean, all I could think of was just, you know, witches dancing around a cauldron. They were just dancing around the reality of the situation. So they, they came up with three or four more idiotic reasons that kids were now having heart attacks. Not once did they bring up the vaccine. The vaccine. Not once. Yeah. Not once did they bring up the policies surrounding it, as far as covering your face, not breathing fresh air, staying at home, confining old folks to nursing homes. Never once did they bring up any of this stuff. And at the end of it, the lady, you could tell she was just at a loss for words. She's like, oh, well, appreciate your reporting, and, you know, good job on this, and I guess now we've just got to got to go to our doctors and get checked out, and then the camera cuts. And I'm thinking to myself, that's 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 the best you could do. Now we got to go to our doctors and get checked out. It was unbelievable, Chris. I'm, I'm, I was thinking to myself, this is what we've come to right here. We 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 can't even address the facts. The, here was the irony. I was speaking about the irony. The segment ended. This episode of the morning show, sponsored in part by Pfizer. <laughs> I can't make that up. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at Ruben. Did you hear what I said, Ruben? I did. The news episode sponsored in part by Pfizer. How the fuck are we allowing a drug company to sponsor a news segment about a virus that they are treating? I don't know. It's a good question. It is a good question. Yeah. How about the third most dangerous thing that happened at the pawn shop? We go political too long. It's going to go down a dark rabbit hole. It's all right. Uh, the third most dangerous thing that happened at a pawn shop. Or most remarkable thing. 
Well, it's not had, every day I get a pawn I, broken. I, I had an yeah, yeah. I had an experience today. A guy, one of my employees, calls me. He's a longtime guy, and he says, "I got a guy in here. He's got some uh, uncirculated uh, dollars. You know, the coin dollars, the ones that they uh, basically spending money. Okay, you know, yeah." The, the seal's not broken on the pack, but there's no collectability to this whatsoever. Okay. So he sends me pictures of it, and I'm like, and hopefully that customer's not listening. Right <laughs> How now. many are I'm there? 20? What's it worth? 20 know. bucks? It's whatever it is. <laughs> right. I said, it's spending money. Tell him to go spend it. I go, wait. Just in the, in the, I go, tell him I have to make a profit. So offer him 80% of whatever the face, the, value. Whatever the face value is. He's probably not going to take it. Five minutes later, I get a call back. He goes, yeah, he took the 80% of face value. This is a bank right across the street. He could have gone over there and said he wanted to change it for larger bills. The guy brought you he 20 bucks that he could have spent it, for it's, 20 bucks. And it's like, gave me, I gave him $16 for it. Oh, my Lord. And, my, and then my wife says, well, you know, if we, if we, <laughs> she goes, if we, if we put it in the case for sale, we can probably sell it for 120%. That's the sad part. And is I'm she's like, absolutely right. I'm like, yeah, but why, why would I want a slow 40 when I can get a quick 20? Right, 100%. I'm just going to, I don't just, even have to hold it. It's currency. I know. I it's could, like somebody came in and, and, and here, I got a $20 bill. Can I have, can I have $20? I don't think ones? it's like Chris. I think it is. Well, you can, you can have 16 ones. Yeah, is right. that okay for your 20? Yeah. Sure. That's what sense. I try. I charge 20% to, to give change. My dear Lord. But I, and the guy knew, I think it's happened once before. Yeah. And, and I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't participating in the last transaction. Yeah. I was just, I remember getting this bag of, Half dollars, but they were just you know nineteen eighty something half dollars, and they were they were not worth anything more than spending money. Yeah, and the guy, oh, he, he he took forty percent, like forty percent, forty percent of the money for money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand it, but you know. Well, I think it's perceived value, right? So some yeah. somebody what they did was they dug, and the thing is, I I am remiss to think that these people acquired this by normal means like of banking or or changing money i think they went to a shoebox that they found at their dead grandma's house they found all these coins they came to you and they wanted to sell it to you to try to get a few bucks off it and in their impulsive greed that just wanting to cash out they they, they didn't stop and think about the fact they could actually take the money and go spend it at the store i think i mean i would like to believe they that could spend it on anything they wanted no i understand yeah. but what i'm saying is guy goes his grandma <laughs> dies he grabs a shoebox it's got three baseball cards a stick of bubble gum you know a, a marble and then a he, roll of coins he, he, if he had a hundred dollars worth and i gave him 80 or let's say he had 120 and i gave him a hundred dollar bill mm -hmm. he could have spent any of those coins at dunkin donuts but he couldn't spend the hundred dollar bill that i gave what do you mean he couldn't spend they the money? They won't take it. Dunkin' Donuts doesn't take money. No, I understand that. But the point I'm making is that the, the, <laughs> the guy didn't look at, like, you looked at it as spending money. Yeah. He looked at it as collector coins. He didn't stop and think it was U.S. currency and he could actually go put it in a vending machine. I'm, I'm hoping, because otherwise then there's really no hope. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I'm kind of scratching my head over going, I, I just do that all day long. Yeah. I'm trading currency. I'm a currency trader now. Yeah. Forget the bond business. <laughs> just bring me your twenty dollar bill. I'll give you sixteen, and we'll do this all day I'm long. I'm just gonna put a big sign out: "Big money for twenty dollar bills." <laughs> and then when they come in the door, I'm just gonna give them sixteen bucks. And go, I gotta make a profit. Yeah, don't what do you expect me to do? Just give you twenty for a twenty? <laughs> How am I gonna keep the lights on? What? Why did you decide to go into this business, anyways? Uh, you know, I have uh, undiagnosed ADHD, and uh, that pretty much sums it up. But I. <laughs> 
So I worked for the phone company for like 17 years. I did a bunch of different jobs there. I've always had a job, you know, since I was 14. Yep. Uh, but uh, I, I just couldn't be satisfied with, you know, the nine to five thing, even though it was a great job. And I have nothing but good things to say about Verizon, honestly, um, working for them. I, I don't like dealing with them as a consumer, but <clears throat> that's another story. At the time, I thought, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to figure this out. And I, I thought, and I bought the Carlton Sheets course. I don't know if you remember that. It was like a tape when you used to buy the courses, like Tony Robbins, but okay. it was only for real estate. This old guy, he said, I'll teach you how to buy real estate with no money down. And yeah, yeah. so it was all single family homes. The, the, so I just listened to the tapes over and over again. And I got yeah. the bug and I started going to auctions and I, st I kept trying to buy properties and I failing and I used to get the adrenaline up at the auction. Yeah. Like I'm going to buy this one and it never happened. And then one day I got a property. And, and how did I, you acquire the property with no money? Uh, well, I didn't buy. I didn't buy this property with no money. I, I, uh, I actually, I actually made attempts to buy with the with the no money down thing. That's what got me interested in it. Okay, it's a lot harder than what it seems because one would think so. Of, you're doing a lot of owner finance stuff and yeah. zero down, and it's not very attractive to the seller unless there's an extreme situation. But right. this was an auction property. It was a Bernie Brostek auction. And okay. And it's all the right investors didn't show up that day. I really? showed up. <laughs> I bought this house for like thirty cents on the dollar. Nice move-in ready house. Really? So I was. I had just gotten married, my first uh, wife at the time, and I. I she, she knew I went to the auction. She didn't expect me to buy anything. <laughs> so you had to put five percent down, you know. Right. So I get home like, yeah, I bought a house. She's like, what? So. That didn't go over very well. But then after, no? she, after she saw the property. Once she saw the upside, I bet it went over real the, well, right? Once she saw the property, she was pretty thrilled about it. No but, kidding. So and so I just started chasing auctions. You know, I was chasing all the the tax foreclosure auctions. It was the city tax sale. They used to host it at uh, Kraus Science Center there uh, downtown. And I think the Civic Center. Okay. And... Uh, the county auctions, it's, you know, and, and I would always just wait, figure out whatever property I wanted. A lot of properties I bought sight unseen. And I got, you know, all of a sudden I, I would end up with houses that were people had abandoned them and they were just full of like somebody, it, it's like cobwebs all over something that somebody lived there. Right. All their stuff is in the house. Yeah, yeah. But how am I going to get rid of this stuff? So a buddy of mine had a secondhand store on the corner of Grant and Wadsworth. And okay. I used to drive by and stop during my lunch break and stuff when I was working in my phone truck. Right where you speak of. And I'd see George. And, you know, I'd say, hey, what's up? We went to grade school together. And we'd hang out. And I was always intrigued by all the stuff that he had in the store. And then I had all this stuff that I got in this one house that I bought. And I, yeah. you know, he, so it just became, we, we formed a partnership, long story short, and, uh, we started going to the flea market on Sunday and just selling all the stuff. And I just started splitting all the stuff with the store that I got for basically nothing. Because yeah, yeah. I was buying these houses, not knowing what was in them. Right, right. And uh, that's kind of how it started, you know, just starting to see value and, and, and just, did I lose it? No. Value and uh, <laughs> and stuff that I would just come come by. And, uh, and he got me interested in the gold market. And uh, I don't know, the rest is kind of history. It's just... Just started from one little one little store, and he decided he didn't really want much to do with it after that. And I kept I kept going with it, you know. It was that? And 
Did he kind of bow out, or did you have to buy him out? I had to buy him out. Okay, it wasn't it wasn't an exorbitant? I can't remember what it was. It was fair for it him. Was a fair t- for him at the time, and <clears throat> for me, it was a lot. But um, I had a bunch of business partners over the years. You probably remember Frank, and uh, yeah, um, that was a more expensive buyout by far. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody that knew yeah. what he had a yeah, little better. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Just always had that that spirit to try to do something different, you know, because I I had that. So eventually, I ended up accumulating like twelve or thirteen properties, and I had them all rented out. Yeah. And I was collecting the the rents from those. I still had my Verizon job. Okay. I still had part ownership in the in the pawn shop, and then I was really heavy into working out at the time. So why not? I started training people. Okay. And I got my A certification, and then I went and started. Uh, training my main client base was like 50 year old women yeah. that didn't like the way their ass looked in their jeans <laughs> and i did like four or five cl- i love doing that i really yeah. did it was just this time consuming you know but it was it was nice to see the transformative aspect of it yeah and then you know feeling that that gratification of you know sculpting somebody 100 percent. so i had to pick a direction so amidst all this all this accumulation of stuff. So I'm telling you everything and fast forward yeah, no, here. Please. I got divorced, uh, kept doing all these things for a few years, mm-hmm. like juggling, you know, spinning plates. Yeah. I was making good money. I, st- I made a ton of money at the phone company. I just didn't, I was just in a hundred different directions. Can you touch on that briefly? You said earlier, I knew I didn't want to work a nine to five. That wasn't for me. When, when did that realization come? Because I know when you said that, some of our audience, because they're a very entrepreneurial audience. These are people that want to succeed, yeah. want to make their own money. What what can they well, I, align with as far as how you there's felt? There's nothing wrong with the nine to five. See, I needed cash flow at the time. So having that job was a godsend for right. me. You know, it was a great, again, I have nothing but good things to say. I still got a lot of good friends that still work there that yep. are, or and retirees that have retired from there. Um, I'm officially a retiree. Okay. Um, but, you know, I had to make a decision at one point because after I met my now wife that I've been married to for 17 years, I told her about all these things on our first date, all these businesses, everything that I got going on. And she's like, wow, you're all over the place. She's, you got to pick one thing. Yeah. And she kind of opened my eyes to it. So you, you have that nine to five job that's got the 30 year plan with the benefits and the security blanket and you feel nice and cozy. Yeah. And you're like, okay, this is, Checks this, always is gonna this is safe. Yep. I mean, I can still, even if I screw everything else up, I can still, I still have this, yep. you know, pension, all that kinds of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she's she just, you're, you're running yourself ragged. Then I met her and I fell head over heels for her. And I. She was like an awesome woman. Yeah, she really is. Uh, it, it, she, you know, I, I, all the other stuff that I had outside of the phone company kind of became a distraction from her. Okay. So I was like, I still kept dabbling in the, in the pawn business. So I would put up signs. The store was closed. I would only go by appointment. Put up signs all huh. over on telephone poles, cash for gold. Yeah, people would meet me. I buy cash, or I buy cash. Basically, essentially, <laughs> that's what you're doing. I buy gold, and she. she you just, have bought cash. She just got intrigued with it, you know, because she's really, you know, like most women, she really liked jewelry. Yeah, let her pick through the, whatever my stash was, whatever the booty was yep. for the day. She'd pick through and was like, she's, she's call me a pirate. She's old. Get, get, you know, I was like, get rid of all that old stuff from your ex, and here's some new stuff. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it just became fun that way for yeah, us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was exciting. 
So I said, well, why don't I just try my hand at this? So I, I, you know, I rented another location in North Syracuse that had already been an established pawn shop. It was uh, across from Harbor Freight, you might remember. That's where I first met you, Chris. So, okay. So uh, we, her and I were working there behind the counter, and we, I had one guy that would help me out, and he's still with me to this day, Dwayne. I don't know if you know Dwayne. I don't know. I'd ha I, if I saw him, I would probably know. Anyway, really great guy. He's a good friend of mine. He, uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, it was just a small operation, and then I would still, then Frank came in and took part ownership of Grant Boulevard. Okay. And then I was, uh, I had a building that I bought at auction on, uh, South Salina, near Seneca Turnpike. Okay. That was a mixed-use building, so I put a shop in there, and I had a guy named Jamie Clock okay. who, who ran that. <clears throat> and uh, he actually ran that as his own business, and I just leased him out the space gotcha. for a while. But then, you know, he went his own way, and I put Frank in there, and then there's a whole drama to go along with that. There always <laughs> the is. City, well, the city was fun to deal with back then. but uh, <clears throat> So you said something, Chris, and I want to kind of, Make the audience aware of. I know some of them picked up on this, and I, and I want to help you kind of see where we go with this type of thing. So what I tell my audience as it pertains to success, becoming successful, trying to be your own boss, trying to you know, reach levels of wealth and success that are far beyond what is par for society, I tell them they have to do something that they enjoy doing, right? That in order to be viciously passionate about what you do each day, wake up each morning, fire out of bed, you know, race to the vehicle, get out the door, go do what you do. The way to do that is to align yourself with something that you're passionate about. And I think w without knowing it, you just really solidified that point by talking about all the different verticals of income that you had and the things that you were doing. And you said, you know, her and I, meaning your, your, your wife, you're now a wife. You know, we, we would do it, and then, you know it was like a pirate, and it was the booty. It was it was fun. Yeah. And I enjoyed doing it, yeah. and so we had to pick something, and, and that's what we did. Sure. And I think subconsciously, you you did exactly what you know you could read in a success book as far as what to do. Yeah. You picked the thing that was fun, the thing that you enjoyed, and which lucky enough for you was lucrative. You know, I see a lot of people go into you know areas of work that are less than desirable income levels, you know, sure. but they're happy with what they're doing and that's where they find success. But the people that really click and I find that are really doing well are the ones that find something that is lucrative and they also enjoy doing, or they find a way to make something that is lucrative, enjoyable. So would you say that out of all those things that you mentioned, the most enjoyable one for you to do was the, the secondhand stuff and the treasure hunting, <clears throat> so to speak? And when you, when you narrow it down to the vintage jewelry and, uh, you know, the diamond aspect of it. I, I That's the part that I really have a passion for. I really enjoy, you know, reading about it and learning about it. And, you know, uh, I had a couple good mentors, lucky for me, that uh, Mike O'Brien out of uh, Oswego, New York, he used to have uh, a diamond shop right there uh, just outside the village. Okay. And he was well known for uh, MDR, I think was the name of it, or it might have been... I can't remember. He's got two or three different business names, but he was well known for you know buying and selling uh, estate jewelry. Okay, and uh, he took kind of took me under his wing, and you know I would liquidate a lot through him initially in the in the early phases, and so okay. I got a, a, a good education. I think, yeah. So <clears throat> something that you're interested in getting educated on, and you want to learn more about, and you don't think you know everything about it. Mm -hmm. Even to this day, I'm still learning about it, and it's an ever changing industry. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've just now the market is flooded with 
uh, lab-grown diamonds. So um, uh, the majority of what's being sold, it's like a, th- a three-to-one ratio in the in the retail marketplaces is, is lab-grown because... Three lab-grown yeah. to one natural stone? Well, everything's insider trading. So you talked about the virus. You talk about, yep. you talk about people having an agenda. We talk about people having an agenda behind the purpose of them saying, giving you the bullshit. Yep. The lab-grown diamond's the same thing. Okay. So what's happening is, is they're convincing the new generation that this is a more responsible stone for you to buy. Oh, because, for Christ's sake. Because, well, that's... that's it's not a blood that, diamond. Exactly. Not a blood diamond. Uh, it's... it's you, don't have, you don't have some, you know, 12-year-old slave person in the field or in a mine right. killing themselves to mine this thing. Right. So they're saying, well, it's made in the laboratory. So buy something we create and control. But what they're not... Exactly. So what they're not telling you is just all the energy consumption that it, that it yeah. takes and creates and all the global uh, impact that it has that... The same people that will tell you to buy this are the same people that tell you to buy an electric car. But but not tell you that you're charging your car off the coal-fired plant exactly. that's dumping carbon into the so atmosphere. So it's market manipulation, and yep. I, what I like to refer to is just plain old insider trading. It's whatever they tell you to buy today has an influence directly on their wallet. That doesn't, doesn't, they'll tell you that, bad consumer, why did you do that? You're bad. You yep. caused this problem. You don't you're care the about the environment. Caused, you caused this problem, but you know how you can fix it? You can buy this. Yep. That's exactly what they do. I don't care if it's an electric car, an electric stove. They want to illegalize propane gas yep. for your for your barbecue. Come on. <laughs> They're doing it. 2028, no more. You can't get them no more. They passed the, legislation. They're state for the little ones. Just They're starting with the little cans, little you know, ca- the, the single use. Yeah. But back to the, you know, the whole... Um, you know that's a valid I'm, point I'm, I'm, when somebody like Elon Musk says, you, you, "Yeah, you got to limit the amount of electric cars you buy." There's there's only so much grid support for char- for charging your electric vehicles. Yeah. No, we shouldn't. We can't go all. The guy is an electric car dealer. That'd yeah. be like saying, "Yeah, you can't." You, that'd be like saying, "Oh, you should go to your the pawn shop to buy all your jewelry." And you go, "No, no, 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 no. You can't do that. We can't support it. It's not viable. It's not healthy. Whatever." You got to know if the guy that stands to profit the most from doing this particular behavior says, "No, no, no." Don't do that. That, that. It should be a warning sign, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I would say. I mean, he's got his interest in, in a lot of other things besides just electric cars, right? True. Smart guy. Um, you know, but back to your, you know, finding my passion accidentally. Yes. I guess it was like that. Yeah, I guess. <clears throat> uh, I would say that if, it, if I didn't go that route, I wanted to open, and I still do. Like, I have all these ideas in my head. I want to open this, I want to open that, I want to open this, I want to open that. And these are all things that I enjoy. And I think to myself, I could make a successful business out of that. I'm smirking because we have a lot more in common. But, but my, <laughs> my problem is, is I'm too comfortable now. See, yeah. I focus on things, things that I'm passionate about today. Yep. My family, my children, uh, you know, my kids are high school age, two of them. Uh, I've got grown children. You know, we have six combined okay. children. So my eldest are, you know, 27 down to... 13 so and three boys three girls so right now i've got at home with me i've got the brady bunch well no i've got (laughs) one boy he's 13 and one girl's 16 my 20 year old is home from oneana for break but she's back off to oneana next year she'll be going to new york for um, fit for the final year of her her uh, schooling but you know that those are the things that you know. So those that's what my wife and I focus on. We try to you know get up in the morning. I look at because of you know my the way my brain works. I got to look at my list of stuff pretty quick. Okay. Otherwise, it just gets 
lost. You know, I'll be reactionary instead of, you know, proactive. When you say your list of stuff, what do you refer to? Stuff I got to do, you know, okay. stuff I got to get, stuff I got to get done. There's always. It's, it's funny, Chris, because you say that and you say it like it's second nature. I, you know, in the morning, my list of stuff, you know. It, it's not. It's hard. I, I have to. Well, that and, and, and most people. So the average Joe isn't waking up making a list. He doesn't have a legal pad next to his shit or he doesn't have a, you know, a super note, an e-ink tablet like I have. These are traits of successful people. And I'm, you know, you're a very humble guy. Okay. I've noticed that about you. Um, but there's some some character traits that you have that align with highly successful people. And I'm not saying it to stroke your ego. I'm saying it because I do have an audience, right? Sure. This is a great conversation. We're having a lot of fun. But this is this is serving an audience of people who are here watching to try to get better. Sure. You know, I got a message on one of my videos the other day. The guy says, hey, Luke, great episode. I want you to know that it's your words and, and watching this show that's given me the, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but has given me the balls to open my own business. I just got my S Corp. I just opened my business bank account. I'm off to the races. Yeah. Not too long ago, I had another guy tell me, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to start a business. Next thing I know, a couple of weeks later, I'm watching the finished jobs that he's done. It, that's I draw a lot of inspiration from That's why I do what I do. Sure. You have some very, you know, so, some very obvious traits of highly successful individuals that I think I would I would venture to say that some of your success, some of your behaviors have kind of happened by circumstance and accident. Uh, meaning, I find... A little bit of luck. Yes, that that too. But it's, you know, lucky people always tend to be the hardest workers in the room, right? I've noticed that. Or conversely, the harder the people work, the luckier they become, right? The, the, the hardest workers I know are the luckiest people. Things like waking up in the morning and, and putting your day, you know, your priorities on a notepad, prioritizing things, making sure you know what has to get accomplished that day, that's a characteristic of a highly successful person. Putting your family first, focusing on family, children, you know, moral ground, ethics, that's a trait of a highly successful person. Being in a nine-to-five work environment, not knowing, or excuse me, not feeling comfort, having financial security and knowing it's there, but also having a burning desire to step outside that environment and pursue something bigger and greater, that is a trait of a highly successful person. Having mentors that you revere highly. You've told me in three or four times in this conversation, you know, I, I'm lucky to have this mentor. I'm lucky to know that guy. I learned a lot from these people, so on and so forth. You're literally checking off all the boxes of somebody who has pursued success based on the skeleton outline of any book you've ever read on how to be successful. And I, I wonder sometimes if you've ever sat down and realized that about yourself. Uh, is it might, might be a, it might be a lot of reading that that caused through causation. It just you know kind of sunk in. Okay. Because I've been a I've always been a big Tony Robbins fan. I've always been a big you know Seven Habits of highly s successful people. Any any of the anything that can just kind of like get you that extra little bit. Even if you only get one thing out of a book, read it. Read it's it. One more than you, you know, have. Put it in there and see what happens. It's not like you're gonna. It's not gonna be the holy grail. You're not gonna get everything you need out of one thing. But you know, it's like doing something right. It being explained that something right to do. It's. I've always heard that you need to hear it seven different waves from seven different people before you finally get it. Yep. And then it's not always the case. Sometimes you get. Sometimes stuff comes natural to you. Yep. You know, certain things come natural to to me certain things come natural to you but there's other stuff that you got to work at so yeah. you know, i have to work at organization i'm not very organized that's that's my uh <laughs> naturally speaking i'm not organized at all so i don't want to look at the disorganization so i'll find places to put it box it up so the, so the nightmare would be contained in this little 
three by five box of total disorganization. <laughs> like a nuclear explosion went off when you open it. But it's not in my sight now, so it doesn't so hurt. It doesn't my, exist. It doesn't hurt my brain at the moment. But like opening it is daunting. It's like scary. Yep. It's like all oh, this stuff in there that I'm putting off till later. So. You walk by it. There's almost an energy to it. But like. yeah, but that's that's part of you know the same thing will happen. I don't want to see shit all over my car. Like you know, cut my kids will leave the car and it looks like. You know, I just left Yankee Stadium or something. and But I just, I, wa I want all the clutter out of my sight, but I don't have the acumen for organizing it all. Okay. When I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's the truth. It's just, it is. Like, but I'll have an anxiety attack if it's time for me to organize my garage, which I do like three times a year. Yeah. You know, I have a prescription for Adderall because I'm, like I said, ADD. ADD. So yeah. I don't take it all the time. You know, I've been more so trying to be religious about taking it lately just because there's been, I've been reading a book on it, you know, okay. I'm trying to, on ADD, and just trying to associate. You know, How the does the book the, talk about the, um, the relationship between the stimulant amphetamine Adderall and the disease? What I've always wondered that. I, I've been diagnosed also well, as When ADD. you have ADHD, it, it actually does the reverse for you. It'll calm you down, calm you down. instead of speeding you up. But there's other there's other drugs you can take that are uh, more on, like an antidepressant type of a spectrum yep. versus a stimulant like type. Like an of, SSRI type Yeah, of there drug. are two different ways you can go, and I'm thinking I'm going to maybe try the, the other version just to see. Cause, but I don't get super hyped up, you know what I mean? Like... I'll only take a half of an, uh, you know, the, the, prescript, the prescribed dose is a full pill, and that just it doesn't, like, I don't think as clearly. So, like, okay. a half, and, you know, I can accomplish whatever task <clears throat> I need, which I haven't, like, in all honesty, the prescription was filled a year ago. It's okay. a month supply, and it's still half full. <laughs> so my wife's getting, so why don't you take it more frequently? And I'm like, you know, <clears throat> I don't know what my aversion is to it. I kind of. It's like I'm in denial. Right. Like I don't. I, I can handle this. I can do this. I can. You know. But then you know. All of a sudden, all the noise will yeah. get so overwhelming to where it's you know it becomes chaos. Yep. And plus, I have a hearing deficiency. My left ear. I've always had since I had spinal meningitis when I was like four months old. So it it uh, it's like the swelling around the brain. Yep. And it <clears throat> killed the nerves. So there's no currently there's no way to fix nerves. So you can amplify it. But it doesn't clarify it okay. because certain certain octaves and sounds are ranges. Just, they're gone. Gotcha. Really? So yeah. So I can't. I've never been able to talk on a phone with this ear. No kidding. But they say that I was reading about it. It says you know he hearing deficiency can exacerbate the symptoms of ADHD. No <laughs> like, kidding. Because well, yeah. Because yeah, it, it serves to piss you off because all of a sudden things that are going on in the room rather than becoming precise. Sounds yeah. will all of a sudden become annoying, annoying noises blurs. that are just like adding to your. You're teaching me a lot right stress now. Stress level. You're teaching me a lot because I have a hearing deficiency as well. I and I, they believe it has to do with a lot of concussions I suffered playing football. Okay. And to whereas if if you and I are talking right now, you could talk this quietly and yeah. even try to be more quiet, and I would be able to pick up on everything you were saying. If Ruben turns on a fan and there's a buzzing noise. And then there's maybe background noise outside of the studio. And then you talk to me loud, sure. very clear, very loud. I, I'm going to have a hard time because whatever happens inside my head, it's trying to pick bits and pieces of everything to the point where if I'm in the shower and my wife is very loudly conveying to me her day's activities, I get lost halfway through because there's too much going on. Right. My mind has a hard time picking it apart. Right. I recall back when I was heavily addicted to drugs, 
Um, there were certain people that would come over that would bring bottles full of, I remember they were orange pills, they were Adderalls, and they were the special ones because they were the ones you could crush and snort, not the ones that came in the... <laughs> oh, they, these guys know, man. There's no shame in my game. I guess they, you could snort anything. They, yeah, oh yeah. I, I found a way, that's for sure. But these guys know that you know my life has gone to two very color, colorful ends of the spectrum. But during the dark period of my life, there was... Uh, a friend, I guess, you know, I use the term friend loosely. There was a guy that would come over and he would bring, he had a prescription for Adderall. And I remember it was always very exciting at one point. It wasn't during, me, by the way. No, no. <laughs> it was always very exciting at one point during the month because he would come over to have a bottle full. And we would sit and we would eat these pills or snort these pills and we'd play video games. And I remember about, you know, halfway through, a couple pills in, he'd be like, all right, dude, let's go to the club. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I'm ready to go to bed. He's like, what? bro, we've been snorting Adderall all night. You should be wired for sound, ready to drink, party, fight, and fuck. Let's go. And I'm like, let's play a little Call of Duty, man. Let's light some incense, and let's just freaking hit the sack and go to work tomorrow. Dude, what's the big deal? And he, he couldn't fathom how I was so calm. And I just remember that particular drug gave me a overwhelming sense of peace and calm just a, a nice warm buzz down the back and i could focus on whatever i would clean the house i would i never was overwhelmed with energy and then i would go to bed i'd put some music on there'd be very acute sense of the sounds and the music of course i was using far excess of whatever the recommended dose was i was yeah. using it you know uh, very uh, the, the very much the wrong way right. but i would fall right asleep i would have an elevated heart rate but i would fall right asleep and I later found out that that was a very significant indicator of having ADHD sure. because most people, if they were to take two or three <laughs> 30 or 40 milligram Adderalls, they would have been out the door like a stretched rubber band and partying all night. And that just, I couldn't do it. I'd fall asleep. Bouncing so, off the walls. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm, you know, hesitant in a, you know, I've had my doctors, you know, wanted to explore the, the possibility of using that. And I just, I don't know, man, when you're a drug addict that's used something recreationally in the past, the thought of undergoing treatment with it, it's just not something I'm willing to do. That's smart. But, uh, you know, the flip side of the coin, somebody like yourself, it's, it's nice to hear that it's actually, you know, that it's beneficial, right? Because you see so much illicit use of certain drugs. But yeah. what, when you, when you do, I'm sure there's guys out and girls out there in the audience that may have ADD or be dealing with it. So on that point, since we've gone there, what is the benefit? You said it allows you to be to focus more yeah it just it just makes it so it's not so noisy it just kind of calms things down. do you kind of feel like there's there's chaos at all times meaning <sighs> from from your from your eyes your ears every like there's a lot of um stimulus yeah sometimes it just depends you know it's not always like that but there's it's like when i talk about shoving everything in a box you know yeah. i want to get that visual chaos away from me and i i didn't realize it because i didn't it didn't it didn't used to bother me, or at least I didn't realize that it did okay. for most of my life. And then all of a sudden, in the past few years, I've become like, you know, I don't, it's not necessarily that everything has to be in order. It's just that it needs to look like it's in order. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I go over somebody's house, I got a neighbor across the street, I go over their house, and it's like, it looks like, I mean, it's so perfect, pristine, clean, everything is like, there's not a dust particle in the corner, and I'm like, this is perfect. I mean, I want my house to be this clean. I mean, yeah. this is so ridiculously, like, pristine. Perfect. yeah. And, you know, so, but I strive for that because I think it's a good thing. Cleanliness <laughs> is next to godliness. I yeah. hate filth, but I'll never, I'll never achieve that because there's always some, I'm like, I'll start things 
and then I'll get 80%, 90% done, and then I'll, I'll go on to something else. The true marker of ADD. Yeah, I won't ever... Unfinished 100%. Projects. Like, I'll literally, like, on flip houses before, I've had, like, 85% of it done, and then I'll hire somebody for the final 15%. Because you just can't get through it. Because I'm spent, like... Like, Mentally. Like, I don't want to look at it anymore. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm done. Okay, the majority of it's done. The cabinets are in. The floors look good. But when it comes to the minutia, you know, yeah. like the little quarter round pieces and the, yeah. that drive you, that take me forever because I'll be like, you know, to, trying to be a perfectionist about minutia. it. Minutia. Yeah. I right. love that word. Right. I right. just learned that word like within the past 12 months, to be there honest you with go. you. Yep. I brought it up again for you. <laughs> I appreciate PTSD it. PTSD with minutia. One thing I've noticed, uh, Chris, throughout the course of this show is that you've got a great vocabulary. You're very, are, do you read a lot? Uh, not as much as I should, but, but yeah. But you do you know, read. I, you make I, it a point to read. Yeah. Okay. You need to. You need to feed. the. Otherwise, you know, it just gets rusty. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It it's, won't work. It's like your body. You know, if you don't move. 100%. You're turning into a pile of shit. You ain't kidding? <laughs> well put. <laughs> I, I try to do this for these guys. You know, when I see something that's noteworthy, I, I try to bring it to their attention. Thank you. Know, you. Yeah. Of, of course. I mean, honestly, Chris, I brought you in here as a guy who I knew was a morally sound individual, had a, had a good moral compass, good business ethics, good business acumen, was a good conversationalist, and just a sound individual and a, and a successful businessman to bring in and to, to try to provide value to my audience. And as I sit here and as kind. we... You're too kind. That's a fact, man. I don't too bullshit. Kind. You know that. You know that well enough, okay? Uh, but I also... <sighs> As we're discussing things. I only came on here just to get showered with compliments. That was it. That was my only motivation. Hey, mission accomplished. <laughs> I, I want these guys, you know, th there's a lot of things that have been noteworthy to me as we've, as we've talked and, you know, some of the business things. But more so, you know, I try to, when, when something comes up that's an item of value and I think the audience can benefit, I, I kind of stop and I address it. Reading is so fucking important, right? I remember... The first time I read a book front to back, and I, and I mean ever, because in school I, I was blessed with the ability to skim through, to read certain parts and bullshit my way through the test, right? Actually physically read a book front to back was Jeremy Thatcher Dragon Hatcher in like second or third grade. And I remember it like it was yesterday because it was the only, I, I got such a, a feeling of accomplishment just when fiction. I read that book. Pure fiction. Yeah. What's that? Oh yeah, just, just it wasn't aligning with anything in, right. in real world, no. Um, and since then, I'd made many attempts to read books, but, you know, of course, now reflecting, I believe it was whatever that condition, if I have the ADD or ADHD, just I get 85% of the way through the book, kind of like you said about your, your project. I'd get most of the way through, you know, there's 30% to go, 25%, 10%, and it's like, ah, okay, I kind of got an idea. Let me go on to the next one, right? Yeah, if it's not compelling to you, you're just on the wrong subject matter. If, right. If you found something that you really loved and that it would be more of an, a leisure enjoyment thing for you. Than, so that's where than, I'm going with this. Than a work. When I was in prison, you're absolutely right. When I was in prison, people would bring books, you know, the library cart. And I'm looking and I started to get books that were about like there was a book called the um, the Art of Seduction, I believe it was called. And it was about, you know, the human psyche and different types of personality traits and how they can be manipulated. I read that thing front to back. And then once I actually accomplished reading a book front to back, I thought, okay, well, I don't have this handicap. I just have to find something that interests me. Right. So long story short, I ended up, once I got out of jail, looking into books that were on topics that were things that I felt if I were able to absorb all the information on this topic, it would get me closer to my goals, right? So I found a couple people, you know, you're, excuse me, 
your Grant Cardones, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but um, he's an influencer. He's, he's kind of like a Tony Robbins, but he's not just in the in the in the the, um, the discipline of motivation. Right, yeah, right. he he also does real estate and sales training <laughs> and stuff. But excuse me, him. You know, there's a book by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. It's a negotiating book. Um, there's uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson. He's got the I think 13 Rules for Life or 12 Rules for Life. You know, read through that, and these were all things. I read these books and I thought to myself, man, these people that there's people out there like me, you know, that there's people out there that feel the same way I feel and their thinking aligns with mine. And, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, I, I wasn't drinking out of the dish. There were things I didn't agree with and there were things I couldn't align with. But by and large, realizing that these successful people that had strict moral discipline, and, and that was really the, the changing point in my life. It was when my moral compass changed. You're not going to remember this, but in 2000. I couldn't even... This is at North Syracuse? Yeah. This was in probably 2005. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Hit me. I was heavily addicted to opiates. I'd had this shoulder surgery, and they had got me hooked on hydrocodone. Um, when I say they'd got me hooked, you know, they they did not cause they me to be addicted to drugs. Stuff. They over-prescribed me. And when I say over-prescribed, I mean I had comparatively more drugs at my disposal than cancer patients that I knew that were near death, Right. But the big, the big breath for the long-winded statement here. The, Charmed the doctors. Well, it was a, it was a, well, it was, a, it was two things. The doctors liked me, but they also fucked up the surgery. Sure. They promised me that I was going to be able to throw a football ninety-five percent as far as I was able to throw it before I was injured. We were talking sixty percent, right? So I was furious. I got the surgery so I could try my hand at college football again. I was going to walk on. I had all these visions of grandeur, none of which were realistic. But when a doctor tells a patient, this is what you're going to have, and you undergo a really invasive life-changing surgery because of it, you would like to expect that that information is relatively factual. And when you're you know, 60% of what they told you was going to be reality, well, then you become very depressed. You become very upset. And they learned very quickly that I could be bought away from a lawsuit with drugs, right? Well, you know, how about we just crank up, you know, your dose? How about we take you from hydrocodone to Percocet? How about we take you from Percocet to oxycodone, oxyca, et cetera? So it was a very dark road that I went down and got on some very, very heavy narcotics. Um, it was during that time that I went through the whole sell some pills to get some play money and eat some pills, then, you know, eat some pills, sell some pills, eat more than I sell, then have none left to sell, then eat all, buy some, then eat all, buy all, buy more, then try to find, you know, it was just a vicious cycle that they all go through. Luckily, I never went to injecting heroin, which is where most pill addicts go to because it's much more cost effective um, because I certainly would have died knowing that, knowing how I behave and the excess that I require in that portion of my life, I would have been dead. During this time, I ran out of money and I owned a house on Henry Clay Boulevard with a garage full of toys and a house full of trinkets that were expensive electronics and things like that. And uh, I was broke one day. I was dope sick. Buddy of mine comes over, brings me a couple pills. I give him my last 20 bucks, and I'm like, well, fuck, I don't know what I'm going to do from from this point moving forward. And he goes, um, what do you mean? I said, because I'm going to be dope sick in about six hours when these pills wear off. I got to work tomorrow, and I got no more money. And he's like, uh, well, when do you get paid? I said, Friday. And it was like Tuesday. He's like, well, dude, you got your toolbox, your air compressor, you got like your baseball cards. You got, I'm like, well, yeah, I got all that shit. But I, if I put it on, you know, at the time it was the swap sheet. It wasn't Craigslist, you know. You remember the swap sheet? Yeah, I do. I like the swap sheet. <laughs> I, mean, I miss the swap sheet about as much as I miss Blockbuster. Yep, 
Yeah. Simple. Old guys like us miss those kind Simple. of things, Chris. How about the car trader, the, the book? The, the auto the trader? The auto trader yeah. was just a black you took, and white You took pictures. a pen and you circled the ones you liked. Yeah. You'd go back to and actually call and talk to people yeah. instead of, you know, it was the texting. Best. It was. It was yeah. real life stuff. So he goes, you know, you can go to a pawn shop. You can bring them this item. They'll give you money for it, you know, a percentage of its value. And as long as you come back when you get paid on Friday, you can buy it back. Now, my father had dropped off at my house at that time, probably five, $6,000 worth of tools uh, that he had moved into a smaller place. He was kind of bequeathing me these things, this family heirlooms and, and usable trinkets and whatnot. And I said, hmm. So I threw, you know, uh, I'm not sure what it was, probably a couple wrench sets that were high dollar items in a, in a DeWalt drill in the back of my truck. And I, I drove over to uh, where he told me to go. And it was the Pawn King in North Syracuse in the Cicero area, the show uh, or the store where your buddy Dwayne was, I think. And I go in there and I remember there was a pack and play in the middle of the floor. And there was a little baby in the pack and play. And there was a woman behind the counter, and there was you, the Pawn King. And I walked in, I said, holy shit, the guy from the commercials is here, no kidding. And I'm sure I had a nice, well-prepared line of bullshit for you about how these were extra special and worth all sorts of money. And you hit me with a figure that was, it was very difficult to fathom how I was, you know, going to sell this item for that much money. But I was in a, and I soon, I soon learned how one could be profitable in pawn brokerage and, and secondhand sales. And when the entity that's looking to sell you the item has no other fucking choice, then they have to accept the offer. So I, I went back and forth with you. You know, I walked in there with stuff that I knew was worth $500 retail, said, okay, it's not new anymore. It's worth 400. And when I got offered 175, went, Jesus fucking Christ, this will get me through a day. You know, yeah. I had a $200 a day habit. So we went, probably settled on a couple hundred bucks. I sold you this stuff. And I, I remember you were a very kind soul. I remember that. I remember it was obvious to me that you could sense what was going on. You you knew you had an addict or somebody that was, you know, involved in, in some sort of substance and they were in a bad way. And uh, I was very young at the time. I was probably 22, maybe 21. And your wife was very kind. And it was just a very, I enjoyed being in there. I, I did. I, I felt almost like I had friends there, that these people, they don't judge me. They know what's going on. They're just, you know, and as I was leaving, you're like, hey, you like, you like movies? I'm like, hey, like, yeah, go pick out a couple of movies, man. And you didn't charge me for them. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So to be sitting here with you in my podcast studio, it comes full circle. Now, Chris, wow. it didn't end there. I came back days, weeks. I emptied out that garage. You got my air compressor, my lawnmower, um, you know, all my saws, my tools, my grandfather's tools. I mean, everything with the exception of some really, some stuff I just couldn't part with because I felt like I would be struck dead by God by a lightning bolt there in the driveway. Sure. Um, you know, camcorder, you name it. Right down to I brought you baseball cards and you knew very little about the baseball cards. You called the guy and he said they're probably worth this and and he gave you a number and you threw me 50 bucks on top of that. And because I, I was like, you know, man, I've sold you like half my house. And you're like, yeah, I know. You should probably get the problem fixed that you're dealing with. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, probably not. So long story short, it's really nice to have you here for not just the, the reasons that we've already discussed and bringing value to the audience, because I want them to understand, you know, this is a humbling thing for somebody to say, right? Um, this is something that I would have probably not admitted to uh, Chris, you know, somewhere in the interim <clears throat> when I was still getting in trouble and trying to find success and all these things. But, you know, as a guy that is very confident that my trajectory is, is upward from here on out and uh, has no plans nor no desire to go back to the place I once was, to be sitting here, to see you become an accomplished businessman, a guy that I enjoyed doing business with, even though it was at one of the lowest points of my life, 
to see that guy become successful. And I, and I always rooted for you, as I would see on TV and hear you in the radio. There was all the Bridge Street appearances and you know, all the times I would see in media. And I said, you know what that guy deserves to be successful? Because he deals with people who are in a very bad way, but he doesn't treat them like shit, at least not in my experience. You know, you, you were respectful. You had respect for your customers. Um, obviously, you know, you knew what line of work you were in, and there were times I'm sure it frustrated you and you acted accordingly. But overall, my impression of you was a nice guy, you know, morally sound individual. So I, I rooted for you. I was happy to see you become successful. As you continued to open stores, it was always something I thought was cool. So to have it come full circle and today be with you in this studio as two guys who are successful business owners. You know, I've got three opening my fourth car dealership. You've got how many awesome. Pond Kings? There's eight. We had we had 14 at one point. Okay. Just uh, a lot to manage. And uh, Did you scale back? On, I mean, was it scaling back on purpose or was it just too much to handle? A uh, little bit of both. Okay. Didn't have the, the, the software program that we have now. So now it's just a matter of I see locations and I'm going, I'm going to open over there. But I don't pull the trigger because the staffing has become a nightmare. Uh, and I don't mean to sound down, downtrodden over it. It's just facts are <clears> it, facts. right now, just to keep my existing footprint operating at full capacity, I find myself working behind the counter more now than I did back when you and I first met. No I'm kidding. Back to, back to that capacity where I'm there, you know, a couple times a week, open to close. Yeah. And I haven't done that. It's tough because they say, you know, you'll talk to a successful business owner. Like my tenant is a successful business owner. He owns a physical therapy location. It's, it's got, I think he's got seven or eight locations. And he always says, you can't work on the business and work in the business at the same time. Correct. So, you know, the, 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 the knowing that, it, it, that'll it'll kind of frustrate me. Yeah. You know, but uh, I'm not too proud to work behind the counter or clean the toilets at the store or whatever has to be done, you know, I'll just do it. I'm, I'm thankful that I have a store to go work at. You know what I mean? 100%. I know so exactly what you mean, Chris. It's, you, it gives you a different perspective, and it's nice for me because, you know, I there's people that haven't seen me in a while that come in as, holy shit, I can't believe you're here. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yep, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. But They uh, say the mark of a good boss is, the, is is somebody who will never expect you to perform a duty that they wouldn't perform themselves. It's, you know, there's a couple jobs. Another, another box you're checking off, Chris. A couple jobs I don't, I won't, I don't like to do. No? I have had people do stuff that I definitely don't enjoy. Not that I wouldn't do it, but the fact that I have somebody there that can do it, you know. Well, now I'm curious. Oh, you know, sometimes you end up with appliances. Yeah. You ever get an old refrigerator and open it up? It hasn't been open for not too, a not year. Not too pleasant, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> a fridge that hasn't been open for a year? No, thank you. That's not fun. That's not fun. But I've, 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 got, some, I've got one great kid who actually... Puffed it out. Yeah. yeah. Is this in a property that you bought an old fridge? Or are you talking about somebody pawned a fridge? Yeah, no, I won't buy the fridge like say, that. But like so. if it's like I was talking about before, we yeah. end up with a property. Yeah. You know, I always say every time I pick up another property, I always say, I'm not doing this again. This is the last time. <laughs> I'm never doing this again. You know what I'm saying? Dealing with the whole process. And then like lo and behold, you end up with another one. Yeah. It's yeah. Like just another side project that I don't want to deal with. Yep. I want to focus, you know, and I'm not necessarily on the pawn shop. You know, I always say I'm going to be a billionaire. I don't, I have no idea how, mm -hmm. but I always say that I'm going to be. 
Yep. I never knew, you know what I'm saying? So it's like there's a convincing part of myself that that's that's that is already there. Yep. Like I'm a billionaire. I just don't know. I just haven't achieved the paycheck yet. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's just, but you know you're going to get there. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty pretty sure. You and me both. You know that's that's pretty <clears throat> incredible because that's another thing that's a common theme. Two things you just spoke on there, and and I'm going to just kind of do the pause for the audience. Somebody who is willing to go to their business, work side by side with their with their employees, and do the same jobs that they request of their employee to do. As something as shitty as, no pun intended, cleaning the toilets, okay? That is the marker of a good businessman um, because the most successful people uh, that I've ever met are, not only do they have the capability, not only will they, but they they prefer at certain intervals to do that, to just renew everybody's understanding that I'm no better than you, I'm, I'm in here doing this, I, I revere this position and what you do just as highly as anything else and, and make their presence known. Um, the other thing was the projection and the ability to have foresight to one's future wealth. Every, and I mean every, highly successful individual that I've ever come across, when I asked them, I asked Rita West. I don't know if you know Rita West. She's a local woman. She owns a gym. She's in Vegas yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She's, she's super muscular. Incredible I, woman. I met her once. She gave me a tour of her gym. My son and I went in. Yeah. She's an awesome human being. I mean, she really is. And when I asked her, you know, when it come time to make a decision to use performance-enhancing drugs, when it came time to pursue the world record, when it came time to do these things that are on your resume as being, as why you are who you are, did you ever have doubts? Did you ever say, you know what, this really isn't for me, or maybe I shouldn't do it? And then before I can even finish my sentence, no. You know, Rita's got a, a deeper voice than most yeah. women. Um, yeah. Still very feminine, but it's very distinct. And you know when you're talking to Rita West. Furthermore, you know you're talking to Rita West because of the conviction with which she speaks. And, you know, there's several others. Rob Senecal, Bridgeland Auto Brokers, Candy Cars, the guy with the funny suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's just like, he's you know, awesome. during, you know, much like me, during the period of drug abuse, um, which he went through as well, and he's very humble and very forthcoming with it, and I appreciate that. Um, and we have audience that gained a lot from that. During the time of self-doubt by way of chemical dependency, you know, there's never any sure footing about anything. But once the body becomes able and sober, it's, well, yeah, we're going up from here. Kind of like I just said to you, I'm positively convinced that my trajectory is up from here and I'm not going back to that dark place. I'm sure of it. There is no question to the point I would submit to a, poly, a polygraph test that I'm just absolutely sure that my wealth will be with a B, not an M. It's going to happen. I will have my own plane. I will have buildings that I own. I will have a major influence on this world. And so I say, well, how are you going to get there? I say, well, I have, a, I have an idea, okay? But these pieces come together as you implement and as you grow. And for somebody to say, you know, that, that is a billionaire, to ask them and say, okay, look back on the past 20 years of your life. Did every step was every step planned out? Was every marker in place? Did you hit every? Oh, God. Oh, no. Man, I've changed the game so many times. I've adapted. I've overcome. And that is another marker of a, a true um, entrepreneur and a successful individual is the ability to adapt, the ability to say, okay, I want to scale. I prefer the marble composition notebook, but I need software because the world operates digitally now. I need to go that route. For somebody like me to say, man, I get so annoyed when I walk through the mall and I can't get past a kid whose face is buried in their phone and you know I run into them because they have no idea where they are, what they're doing, what direction they're traveling. But if I want to compete, I got to be on social media. I have to have a presence. I have to buy into the whole Instagram, Facebook, TikTok yeah. methodology. I agree. So 
Um, I just don't do it personally. Yeah. I just pay somebody to do it. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but regarding the, the success aspect of it, the fact that you're that confident you're going to be a billionaire is is just another box that you're checking. You know, for you're going to walk out. Your head's not going to fit through the door. You realize no, that. It doesn't now. It's already too big. You know, it was big to begin with. <laughs> It's you another thing we have a, in common. I can't even buy a cowboy hat. You can't buy a hat. What can the you? freaking uh, was it? Granger, where they sell cowboy hats? I don't know. No, Tractor Supply tractor sells supply. cowboy. We we're going to a country concert, and I okay. tried every hat in the place on. Wouldn't do it, right? Head's too big. I used to wear a fitted backwards hat. It was like my trademark. I can't even fit in one now. I literally have to wear the snapbacks and put on the last snap. That look like Elmer Fudd. Question for you, Chris, <laughs> as we get wrapped up here, okay? If you could. It, it, We've got an audience here that just wants to get better, okay? Whether it's in their relationships, whether it's in their life, whether it's in their their business and their wealth, they're just trying to get better. Most people will put wealth and the freedom of money before the others, uh, but they're all important. If you could speak directly to them and give them advice on maybe from your personal experience, Maybe it maybe a moment that you had a revelation or a moment of clarity. I don't mean to make it so biblical, but sure. a moment of clarity where you realized, for instance, myself, okay, one one of the moments of clarity for me was when I realized that I am not my father, I'm not my mother, that I'm Luke Lunkenheimer. And whatever I choose to pursue and whatever level I try to reach, as long as I put in the appropriate work, the steps and the investment. I'm just as capable of getting there as anybody else. It has nothing to do with my DNA, where I came from, or who my parents were. So I'm just going to continue to try to climb and reach my potential with a killer's instinct, no matter what. I'm just going to go, and until I realize, until I feel that I'm at the top and I can't get any further, I'm not going to stop. That was a revelation that I had, and when I had that revelation, I went from one store to two, two to four, you know, car dealer to car dealer and, you know, YouTube host, car dealer to car dealer, YouTube host and digital content creator, app builder, and just the verticals kept continuing to grow because I just said, if I want to do this thing at a high level, I have to have multiple streams. And I kind of had a breakout moment in my life, okay? And this is over the past probably three years. Do you you recall a moment where you had, where your life went on a, a significantly more vertical trajectory because you came to some sort of conclusion? I don't know if it's necessarily, I came to a, a conclusion per se, but, you know, we, we I was still kind of shaky in the business. We had just gotten started, and my wife and I, she was very much integral, still is, um, behind the scenes. Uh, you know, we, we, had, we just got married, and we were still not there financially. You okay. know, the business was on Bridge Street, I think I had just made my first appearance on Bridge Street like a couple of days before. And we got married th- like the next day and or somewhere in that vicinity. I don't know the exact proximity. But at the night of our wedding, <laughs> I did like most young people do, except I wasn't that young at this point. This is my second marriage. Okay. I'm opening up all the envelopes to see how I ended up where where the money ended up to pay for the wedding, yeah. you see, which luckily I cleared it. <laughs> <laughs> we had the honeymoon booked already, which was I had already paid for uh, with you know money from uh, Verizon at the time. And uh, we jumped on an airplane. We went, we went to uh, 
the next morning, or the next evening, rather, we landed in St. Martin. She had never been there. I had been a couple of times. So it was New Year's Eve night, and it was pitch black out. So she didn't know anything about it. The next morning, we woke up. She woke up before me. She was like a 12-year-old kid comes running. Look outside, look outside, look outside. <laughs> so it was this, I don't know if it was a moment of clarity, but it was just like that that childlike wonder yep. that I saw in her yeah. that made me excited about where my career was going. Not necessarily where my career was going, but where my life was going. And it was with her. And I remember they didn't, our self, we didn't have cell phones that would work there we had to use calling cards you had to prepay you had to buy the card and use them at the okay pay, at the pay phones yep yep and we had left x amount of cash in order to run the stores mm -hmm. well that bridge street appearance had such a impact <laughs> really seriously i can see where this is going i i call up Dwayne says i'm out of money i said what do you mean you're out of money i left you like i don't know it was like a lot five grand or something at the time which we, we, we if we spent three grand in a week it was, it was a lot yeah. he he spent five grand in a day i had to i had to figure out i had to coordinate you know over the phone with a bunch of different people we end up I mean, we end up having like a like a just this just huge record week and it was just like a to me it was just the god the universe just yeah. saying hey you did the right thing Everything you're doing is you're on the right track. It's all gonna work out. And yeah, that was that was that was a great time. It was like you know, here we are enjoying ourselves. We're so far away. I'm like, oh, we really should be back there. But no, <laughs> but in all reality, no, we should be right where we're yeah. at. Everything's playing out the way it's supposed to play out yep. to our benefit, hundred percent, and everybody's benefit and our family and stuff. Um, so, and that's really where the business really started taking off. And um, but. Um, you know, I would say to anybody like that that's listening that doesn't know, you know, or doesn't have the confidence to do it, just 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 do it because whatever it is the business that you're thinking about doing, it's better. You know, more is lost from inaction than wrong action. Always, not sometimes, but always. So even if you lose everything from making the wrong decision at least you've learned something from that decision. If you do nothing, you gain nothing. If you if you lose all your money, you can always make more money. You know, I've had to I've had to lose everything and make more and make it all back multiple times in my life. So th this right now what Luke is saying about nonstop trajectory and seeing yourself at the top and not stopping, you always want to have that attitude. But you got to, you know, be realistic and say, you know, you're going to have bumps in the road. There always, there's always going to be bumps in the road. You can't operate out of fear. Just don't be afraid to get out, trip over your shoelaces. Just go out and do it, you know. Just yeah. go out and do it. It's better to, you know, figure it out as you go along than to just get, you're never going to get everything 100% perfect before you decide to pull the trigger. Yeah. Just pull the trigger. <laughs> they say it's better to love and have have loved and lost than to never love at all. And I think it kind of goes with what you're saying. You know, you can die somebody who wonders what they could have done, right? There you go. And as far as I'm concerned, that's that's the biggest tragedy in the world is wasted talent, okay, or wasted opportunity. And too many people, and, and this is the purpose of this show. You know, we have several purposes. This this is one of the big three. And people people go to the grave. They get diagnosed with early health conditions, cancers and, you know, viral infections, and, and their time is limited on this earth. As it is, you know, let's say, 
we're all very blessed and we live to be 100, okay? That, that's a century. You know, th- there's, <laughs> there's companies that outlive that. You know what I mean? Ford Motor Company is, a, you know, a century and 20 years old or something like that. You know, th- there's companies that have outlived the longest lifespan of a human being. What you, what you create in this lifetime is, you know, there, there's no guaranteed marker of what's going to happen after you die, right? Now there's faith, there's religion, and people have their own perspective on that. Some people you'll talk to and they say, I absolutely know what's going to happen. I know where I'm going. I know. And to them, I have envy because to know that, I think, is a very warm, comforting thing. There's other people that, like myself, that have a very difficult time grasping something unless I've seen it and touched it and talked to somebody who's experienced it. So for the time being, we'll call it the unknown. And once that time comes, the the time for you to be in control of what is the, what is the action is gone. You know, you, you get to, if the ride is there to the afterlife, you get to go on it. And, and, you know, God bless you, no pun intended. You know, you get to enjoy that experience. And I hope it is. Uh, but while we're in this period, this finite period of knowing what we can expect, knowing what we can do, knowing what canvas there is to paint on, it's such a tragedy when people sit back and they don't paint on it, you know, because people don't have any idea what a beautiful artist they could be until they put the brush to the canvas. Now, I'm going crazy Amen. with analogies and metaphors here. Amen to that. No, seriously, you're but absolutely if right. You, if you don't just take action, I think about myself. My wife came to me. She offered me money from a, a, an injury, a settlement from an injury, you know, the better part of $100,000. And I had already proven with a, a partner who had gotten the better of me that I could run a car dealership, I could buy cars, I could make a lot of money. And I didn't have the confidence in myself at that time to say, I, I loved her. You know, she's my wife now. She's the most amazing woman in the world. And I'm, I'm very blessed to have her. Shout out, Nikki. I love you, honey. But I, I at that time, was not confident enough to say, okay, I'm going to risk this woman's money to go do this thing because I'm that sure I can do it. You know, in hindsight, do I wish I would have? It would have been a more profitable first four years because I wouldn't have been splitting it with my investing partner. In hindsight, would I have done it differently? I don't know. The four years went tremendous. You know, uh, things happen for a reason, right? But the bottom line is this. If my investor never came to that, that partner never came to me and offered me that investment, I never would have done those things. Maybe further down the road, whatever. The bottom line is it happened the way it did because it took somebody, and I, and I say this in, in pure honesty to my audience, and I have before, I would not have gotten started as soon as I did had somebody that I revered highly who was very successful not come to me and say, hey, you're, you're capable of this. I'm going to make the investment. We're just going to do it, right? Uh, because he saw monetization ability in me and he also was a nice guy right so i learned very quickly that i had a skill set that was monetizable and not only monetizable but was slated for very high levels of success if i chose to take action so i did that happened you know and here we are and i'm taking this audience on a ride with me that includes, you know, I'm flying to Manhattan tomorrow i'm working on producing an application a digital app for the phone that i think is going to change the music industry and it's going to be very big. And, you know, there's non-disclosure stuff, so we can't get into it. But I'm very excited about it. Um, but three years ago, five years ago, that would have never been on the palette. It never would have even crossed my mind. Nor would have I had the resources to fund it myself. You know, I would have had to go to private equity. I would have had to go to investors and given up, you know, ownership stake and a great idea that could monetize heavily. Uh, or I may not have even done it at all. But the bottom line is, if you don't pull the fucking trigger, yeah. right, 
you're never going to know. You're never going to know. And what Chris is saying, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is what you stand to lose is so minute in comparison to what you stand to gain. I keep this young lady here I've been looking at to the right of time. me. Yeah. Themis, she's the goddess of justice oh. and good reason. She wears a blindfold because justice is blind. She, she carries the sword of justice. She stands on the book of law on the head of the serpent. And it's just a big representation of, you know, things. I look at it, everybody has their own interpretation of it, but I look at it as the right thing doesn't require you to see it. It doesn't require you to speak of it. It's just the right thing. You know, the old lady falls down, you walk over to her, you get your feet wet in the puddle, you help her back up because it's just the right thing to do. It doesn't require you to be told the answer, to see the answer, to have read the answer, to have any guidance on this fact right. whatsoever. You just do the right thing because that moral compass inside you knows that's the right thing to do. But she also carries a, a, a scale, right? And it's just strictly a single balance scale, one to the other, right? Proportionate. And in my life, I try to keep balance, you know, work, family, you know, love, relationship, all these things. But the one thing that I know uh, that's depicted by this whole thing here is that if I don't take action, there will be no chance to measure what could have been against what what was saved, meaning this. You can lose money, right? Yeah. And, unless what you're embarking on puts your life at risk, there's truly, in my opinion, no reason that you shouldn't take that journey because, listen, man, you can always make more money, right? True story. People get so caught up and lost in this nine-to-five grind. And what they don't realize, and, 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 and what plagues me so, is that people don't realize. You know, they say, well, I don't want to go work for myself. That's volatile, right? If I screw up, there's no paycheck. If I don't make the, if I don't make the sale, if I don't make the money, there's no money at the end of the week. It's like, guess what, pal? Verizon? If they don't make the appropriate bids and the appropriate management selections and the appropriate marketing uh, scheme, they're not going to be profitable. You're going to get laid off. You're right back where you started. You go work at the corner store for the guy that has the, the market. He gets a drug addiction. His wife leaves him and takes half. Any other particular variable comes into play. Right. They're just a human. They're just a business owner, just like you could be. So my stance on that whole thing is why not be the guy that, that holds the you know, that holds the reins to the wagon, so to speak. Yeah. Moving forward, we're going to wrap it up. Chris, anything you'd like to leave the audience with? Oh, I appreciate you having me on. It's no problem, brother. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for educating me on how we met because <laughs> Alzheimer's setting. I have, I have virtually very, I remember, you know how many people I've told go grab a movie? Oh God! Well, it probably if because my if, it softens the blow on what they thought they were going to get. A lot 100%. of times, I would use that as a kind of a. With me, you did parting, it as I was already walking out the door. Gift. So I felt like it was like a gesture. Yeah, like, I wish know, I could remember, but like I'm trying to I, maybe show me a picture, <laughs> and I maybe if I can see you when you were how much lighter were you? Oh God, hundred pounds lighter. Uh, well. Uh, almost exactly, yeah. Yeah, see, that's a, like a totally different person. It is. It is. <laughs> that's probably. I showed why a picture to a friend the other day of me back at that time, and they 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 didn't they didn't want to look at it. They're like, no, dude, I can't see you like that. It's not. It's a miserable <laughs> thing to look at. But, um, guys, you can check Chris out. He's the Pawn King. Um, he's got eight locations. Yeah, eight locations. If you're interested in anything buying, selling, PawnKingNY.com. Okay. 
Yeah, we just revamped the website, so there's a bunch of inventory up there. You can check out, you know, all awesome. the jewelry selection and everything. Guys, I got an air conditioner in the studio. I think it came from one of Chris's stores. Um, the stone that's on my wife's hand is a beautiful stone, and he didn't even it, it, what there was a whole story behind where it came from, and it was a high quality stone. And it, it, it's funny, we brought that stone to a jeweler that was trying to sell us in a ring, mm-hmm. uh, sell us a ring sure. in a mall jeweler. Tried to sell me a forty-two thousand dollar engagement ring. She looked at the stone and she said, this is nicer than anything I could have sold you. Okay. And, and that's a fact. Um, whether she was accurate or not, I don't know. Uh, she'd been in the business 20 something years and she was a straight shooter to the point where I gave her $200 as a thank you because I didn't buy a piece of jewelry from her. And we asked her a lot of questions and we put her through the ringer. But, um, you know, my point being just because Chris is a pawnbroker does not mean he does not have access to top quality goods. Oh, yeah. So if you're looking to, you know, relieve yourself of a, a $50,000, $100,000 jewelry collection. You know, this is your guy. If you're looking to sell an estate that is very, very high dollar stuff, Chris is very well-versed in anything from, you know, a $20 Casio watch all the way up through to a piece of property that's hundreds of thousands of bucks. So don't don't sell him short, okay? Good guy here, good guy to pay attention to. Not going anywhere anytime soon. Appreciate you being here, Chris. Guys, you know what to do, all right? Go get it, go make your money. Go find people like Chris to align yourself with and uh, get free. Stay free. Thanks, Ruben. Good show, guys. Are we off? We are good. Uh, All that water, you know where that's going. (laughs)